breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Podcast Network here with Reform This. And I hope you're all doing well and uh, your families are healthy and well. And we're all beginning to get uh, a little peace or a little uh, um, return of normalcy. I don't know how long that is away from us, how long it'll be before we return to normalcy. It seems that whether it's economics or the fear industry of the media, uh, they will continue to find variants, continue to find excuses and other reasons to tell us that we can't get back to normal, that we need the socialist state, that we need control of our rights by government in order to avoid a return to normalcy. And at this program, I try to give you a little niche of perspective of that from the battle within, a battle that a quarter of the world's population should be fighting, which is against political Islam, against theocratic Islam, the Islam that is sadly the normative Islam, though Many of us Muslims have reformed, have westernized, do believe in liberal values. The reality is that we have a lot of work to do. And so many of the examples that we are seeing week to week seem to have parallels in the rest of our society. The battles that you and I are now waging on the streets of America about free speech, about socialism, about free markets, national security, the border, all seem to have some common themes about personal liberty and personal freedom that our battle within Islam seems to also have. And I think there is a unique synergy that if you spend a little time with me and you get to see some of my perspective on things when it comes to trying to modernize a faith tradition that I love, but for the most part its legal tradition is still in the 13th and 14th century, that those will have some pearls, some teaching points that can then translate into the way we approach things together in a diverse way, in a way that maintains American values, and how do we rise above the threat against our country, against our way of life, and against our culture. And this week is no different. I'm going to focus, we're going to talk today about how some legislators have decided to take up your time in the U.S. Congress, not trying to figure out a way to pass an infrastructure bill, not to try to figure out a way to bring this country back on its feet again. No, they want to find a legislation that in, that invokes and emplaces a new special envoy to fight Islamophobia. Yeah, you heard that right. A special envoy to fight Islamophobia. And this isn't this this is a different envoy than the special Muslim representative to the OIC, which I've always thought was an odd position that why would you identify an American Muslim to then sit 
in the neo-caliphate. The OIC is the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. And President Bush many years ago after 9-11 in order to placate the sense that somehow America was not fighting a war against Islam or against Muslims said, you know what, we're going to send somebody to listen, to sit in and listen so that we can gain more respect from Muslim-majority countries. Now, never mind that most of those Muslim-majority countries are military dictatorships or theocracies. No, we, we still were, were going humbly to gain respect from them. And it wasn't about them learning from us about how to wage societies and build civil societies of democratic institutions and free speech and universal human rights. No, it was about sending a special Muslim representative to listen. And now 15 years later or so, whatever year that position was put in place, do any of you know who the heck sat in that position? Do any of you know what they accomplished? They couldn't even speak up. They were told to sit down and listen. And now we're going to go one step further at how unsuccessful that special Muslim representative was. Why, do we, why don't we internalize it and create a czar to monitor Islamophobia? And by the way, to be specific, that was the U.S. representative, special envoy to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Bush appointed Seda Cumber from 08 to 09. Then one of the Muslim Brotherhood's prime farm team leaders, Rashid Hussein, was there from 2010 to 2015. And then for one year, President Trump appointed Ryan Galiha, and uh, I had never heard of him. And now Biden quickly appoints. By the way, there were five years in which there was nobody there, and I don't think we were missed. And now we have Ferris Assad there again. I don't even know what the United States, a, a secular country that is diverse in its religious leadership, and I don't mean secular from an anti-religious point of view, as it's come to mean for the hyper-secularists in the West, but rather not quote-unquote, an identified Christian country, but rather a westernized liberal country. What it's doing, identifying a Muslim to represent our country at the OIC, that made no sense to me and never will and never has. But now, hold the presses because Ilhan Omar and her Islamist farm team want you to support a special envoy to fight Islamophobia. We'll define what Islamophobia is here in a second, but I'm sure that they are, uh, and, and by the way, this was uh, done through an introduction of legislation uh, by not only Ilhan Omar, but Jan Schakowsky. So Schakowsky and Omar introduced this bill, and I'm sure they're going to say in their talking points that there's long been an envoy to fight anti-Semitism, and I'm sorry, the the moral equivalencies are absurd. They're absurd because, first of all, the envoy to fight anti-Semitism, that position was a long time in formation. It was It's part of the Office to Monitor and Combat Anti-Semitism. 
The U.S. Department of State formed it as part of the uh, Act, the uh, Global Anti-Semitism Review Act of 2004. And the first envoy was Greg Rickman, uh, sworn in in May 2006, appointed by President George Bush. Hannah Rosenthal served on the Obama administration from November 09 to October 2012. And bottom line is, is this was part of a number of envoys to fight anti-Semitism that were becoming part of the fabric of the operations of the UN, of the EU, and others. I served on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and uh, there's little doubt that after what is probably the most horrific crime against humanity done ever, the Holocaust, that there were many areas that needed to be exposed and dealt with in order to protect the Jewish minority from continued acts of anti-Semitism. Now, Islamophobia is is looked upon as a term that somehow is synonymous with anti-Muslim bigotry. That term, Islamophobia, is a concoction of the organization of Islamic cooperation, the tyrannies of theocracy that come together to form that caliphate of Islamic-majority countries, 56 of them to be exact, that see the world as divided into the land of Islam and the land of war, or the land of non-Islam, anti-Islam. So what they did in their own countries, by the way, if you look at the evolution of the concept of Islamophobia as a word, they have long imprisoned people for speaking out against their governments, whether it's Saudi Arabia and people that like Rafe Bedoui who did the crime of liking a Facebook page on Christianity or speaking out against Muslim Sharia jurists or others. So as you look at what many, many individuals in Saudi Arabia and Iran and Pakistan are put in jail for, these are dissidents, dissidents who are speaking out against the governments, against the law and its oppressive nature and often genocidal nature of the governments. And they're not put in jail for crimes against the state. They're put in jail for crimes against Islam. Because far be it for the uh, monarchies and dictatorships, to be honest, to be honest about why they torture these individuals. No, they, they would like the populist history to say that they are representing God, that they are representing Islam. So the Khomeinists, when they torture homosexuals, when they throw them off roofs, when they chop the hands of those who they say steal, or when they rip the tongues out of those who utter words that they dislike, they say that these are Islamophobes, that they violated Islam. And thus is born the word Islamophobia, operationalized in the 90s by the OIC, who then wanted to put the West as they have on defense for a long time. 
This changed only recently, but for a long time the Saudis were one of the main funders of Islamism, of the viral grassroots movements of the Muslim Brotherhood and others into Europe with one of the main operations they had was building mosques. And in those mosques from Switzerland to Sweden to Germany, Italy, and elsewhere were housed Muslim Brotherhood leaders with the Saudi funding. Now this changed in 18 with the Abraham Accords and otherwise the as is constantly seen in Islamic history, there's this yin and yang battle between internecine power struggles of grassroots Islamists that believe that Islam is a grassroots movement, political movement, like the Brotherhood or Jamaat Islamiyah or the Khomeinists, or versus the theocrats who believe Islam should be run by scholars, by ulama, by a, by a corporation, if you will, and its board of directors, like a monarchy. Bottom line is, is they're drinking from the same trough, and both of them feel that they have the um, imprimatur of God, imprimatur of Islam, when they speak. So therefore, if you fight the Muslim Brotherhood, you are fighting Islam. If you fight the king of Saudi Arabia and his monarchy and his family, or you believe against them that their laws are not Islamic, that Wahhabism is an aberration, you are anti-Islam. If you disagree with the chopping of hands for stealing in Saudi Arabia, you are anti-Islam. If you think people should have the freedom to like Facebook pages of Christians, Buddhists, Jews, and others, you are anti-Islam. And thus Islamophobia has domestic uses for theocrats and global uses, as it operationalized it in the West. And thus you've seen in the last, especially since 9-11, while there was huge unrest between the militant side of political Islam, of Al-Qaeda, and then ISIS and others, versus the civilizational jihadists of the Muslim Brotherhood and others. But, but that did highlight one of the things they agreed on was that when they were in control, they determined what was Islam and what is not. And those who fought them were anti-Islam, not anti-Islamist. Islamic political movements. No, no, you can't just be against their movement. You must be against Islam. And thus is born how the OIC operationalized a movement to over and over spend millions and millions and millions to create a propaganda war in which the West, if it criticized its governments in the OIC, if it criticized its ideas, if it criticized anything, that could be tied to a sitting judge or jurist or sharia advocate, it must be Islamophobic. And then when ISIS was created, when Al-Qaeda was created, you couldn't call them Islam. If you did, that was Islamophobic because they were apostates, because they became so militant. And the Saudis and others tried to ignore or deny or blockade any attempt to connect their ideology with the conveyor belt that actually did produce the ISISs of the world and the Al-Qaeda's and others, the Hamas's, 
from that conveyor belt of the Muslim Brotherhood and theocratic Islam. But if you made that connection, you were an Islamophobe. And now with the Biden administration in place and Islamists in more power than they've ever been, continuing the ascension of power they had under the Obama administration, we find that now Ilhan Omar, supported by the Shikowskis of the world and others who who somehow see America as always guilty and as the problem and deny the rights of individuals in Muslim communities that reject political Islam, be they women, be they gays, be they intellectual liberals who seek to reject the authoritarian control of Islam by theocrats, they now are putting forth this legislation to create a czar on Islamophobia. Her talking points bizarrely point to the alleged rise of worldwide Islamophobia, international Islamophobia. Omar and Shakowski of Illinois, Omar is from Minnesota, jointly introduced the Combating Islamophobia Act before the House of Representatives. The eight-page bill, according to news reports, calls on the State Department to create its own office of to combat Islamophobia, the head of which will be a special envoy appointed by the Secretary of State. Some of the details of the bill, it requires the State Department to include in its yearly country reports on human rights practices a description of the nature and extent of acts of Islamophobia and Islamophobic incitement that occur during the preceding year. So look, it wants to empower some individual and all the minions working for them, hint, hint, Islamists, to determine what is and what is not Islamophobia. And how do, that, that's, talk about thought police. So Islamophobia is not only going to be monitored, it's going to be exposed. Doesn't this remind you of, oh, the police to monitor free speech on criticism of vaccinations, monitor free speech on criticisms of using off-label drugs during a pandemic, monitor free speech on criticisms of lockdowns. You choose your, your, your situation, whether it's medical industry control of information from the government or whether it's supposed protection of a religious minority in America and in 56 countries where it's a majority, them invoking a control of what is permissible speech when talking about Islam. Let's go back to their, this Orwellian position. And it's funny, they, they're talking about this as if it's a czar, right? An Islamophobia czar. Oh, so it'll be a czar like Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, who's the border czar. She's never been there. And yet when she does when she does get involved, it's in Guatemala or elsewhere. It's not really related to actually fixing the problem of a hemorrhaging population into the United States, unvetted and completely out of control. That's the czar. The border czar actually is a czar to completely weaken our borders. And the Islamophobia czar will be a czar to actually, I believe, just like political Islam, and last time we talked in this podcast about how 
atheism is growing in so many aspects of political Islam are destroying what I find and what my family finds and so many of us believe to be the beauty of Islam, one of the religions of God and one of the beliefs in the moral ethical construct of humanity that brings the goodness out of us and protects us from evil. But that's personal. That's what a personal faith does, be you Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever your religion might be. If a faith gets hijacked by theocrats and politicians and that builds and establishes institutions through government based in the name of that faith, the West has proven that the only way is to defeat them in order for religious freedom really to be felt. So I think the czar on Islamophobia will actually be a death knell in the faith of Islam's growth and, and respect. And that ultimately it will be one of the things that will spread Islamophobia. No different than the Islamists have spread Islamophobia because the West and Americans see what Islamists do and what they believe and how much hypocritical they are and how oppressive they are. And they say, well, that must be Islam because there's no revolutions against them. There's no movements that are palpable against Islamists. Some of us are trying, and there have been on the streets of Tehran and elsewhere, but not as much as there should be globally. And the Islamists are always a few steps ahead of us. And that's what this is. This is Ilhan Omar, the lead farm team representative of political Islam in America, creating a bill to create a caliph protectorate where our democracy can then become a tool to protect the ascension of political Islamists globally from criticism and protect them from criticism. Let's see what else the bill says. In addition to reporting violence, harassment, and propaganda against Muslims, propaganda, it doesn't say report threats of terrorism. It says propaganda. The description must also touch on the various efforts of governments, of foreign governments, to promote anti-bias and tolerance education. Oh. It doesn't say to protect Muslim dissension. It just says anti-bias and tolerance education. Both Omar and Shikowsky made statements saying, quote, we are seeing a rise in Islamophobia in nearly every corner of the globe. Congresswoman Omar claimed, as part of our commitment to international religious freedom and human rights, we must recognize Islamophobia and do all we can to eradicate it. No definition of Islamophobia. Listen, as I've said many times on this program before, there is certainly as there is bigotry against pretty much every person and group of faith, there is palpable bigotry against Muslims that exists. I believe most of it's coming from Muslims, other Muslims and Islamists, but the bottom line, there is palpable bigotry that exists. But that should be identified as bigotry against Muslims, not Islamophobia. Islam is an idea. It's a faith. It's a, it's a set of beliefs. It doesn't have any rights. It can be written on a piece of paper and thrown away or written on a piece of paper and framed and put on the wall. 
It's an idea. It vanishes. It stays in the mind. It's ethereal, ephemeral. And it's not the first action. By the way, let me go back. A quote from Omar. For over a decade, we've seen increased incidents of violent Islamophobia, both in the U.S. and worldwide. Oh, so when Muslims are attacked, it's violent Islamophobia. When ISIS attacks, it's not violent Islam. (laughs) Talk about hypocrisy. It's violent Islamism. And I've testified many times to Congress on the need, if we're going to combat jihadism, you need to combat violent jihadism. The the hypocrisy here is just breathtaking. She goes on, from the genocide of Rohingya in Burma and Uyghurs in China to the attacks on Muslim refugees in Canada and New Zealand, Shikowsky added, it's past time for the U.S. to establish a comprehensive plan for combating this hatred worldwide. Oh, so the envoy against Islamophobia is going to protect Muslims in all these places and begin to change our policy in China, for example. I find that hard to believe since the very countries that Ilhan Omar seems to be infatuated with, like Turkey, Iran, are completely in bed with the Chinese Communist Party and don't seem to care or or, or mention anything about the crimes against humanity done against the Uyghurs. This isn't the first action, according to the media, that Omar has taken to help, and Alpha News, by the way, has taken to help fight Islamophobia. She endorsed an open letter that attacked the Minneapolis Star Tribune editorial board for equating Muslims with terrorism. She said, I have great respect for the journalists, including reporters at the Star Tribune, but I will not stand by while an overwhelmingly white and male editorial board continues to use divide and conquer tactics against communities of color in our city, she tweeted. She she wrote an open letter asking for signatures and calls on the Star Tribune to increase the diversity of its editorial board with black, Muslim, and female voices. So Muslim is a race? And now you see where this is going, don't you? This is an important connection that she criticized the editorial board in her own district, municipality, in her own area there in Minneapolis and Minnesota. In the meantime, is creating, wants to create a global chair envoy, if you will, in the United States. And not just of the American jurisdiction, but international Islamophobia jurisdiction to put the fear of God even more so into anyone who may question the connection of a faith belief with radicalism. Oh, but the Attorney General Merritt Garland and others can start to insinuate that parents, people of faith in America that are non-Muslim are domestic terrorists because they show up to show their free speech at school boards, etc. And again, you may see that as a non-sequitur. It's not a non-sequitur. It is not. Because there is a lot of commonality, folks, between what the Islamists are doing in bed with the Democratic Party and with the far left and what they want to do globally for political Islam. While the left starts to demonize people of faith, especially Christians, 
and Jews who are conservative. And while they demonize them and take every opportunity to declare them to be terrorists and connect them to militant movements, they will stop at no ends to create institutions like this envoy, to create terms and fabricate ideas like Islamophobia in order to suppress free speech. And I'll tell you, as a Muslim, there is nothing more harmful to our faith than the suppression of free speech. That if you look at scholars of reform, if you look at scholars of reform like Abdullah Naim and Emory University, or if you look at Fatima Mernisi, historical scholars that have written about Islam and democracy, they would all be considered to be Islamophobes because they wrote about an Islam that's different, because they believed in an Islam that was compatible with Western ideas, with Americanism, Westernism. Muslims in France that want to be French first and do not want to see the rise of Islamic theocracy or that separatism that separates them from their French identity. This Islamophobia envoy certainly will begin to be a filter of ideas, and we need to fight this with all, with all our power. And to highlight it as a representative as a representative bill of what happens when Islamists are unchecked, that they will turn our Congress and they will turn our media, our institutions into anti-freedom, anti-liberal, and anti-Islam, anti-religious freedom institutions that suppress free speech and do the bidding of theocrats from Erdogan in Turkey to the king in Qatar to the Khomeinists in Iran like Raisi and other horrific jurists that do things in the name of Islam that they don't want to talk about. And Ilhan Omar doesn't want to talk about it. She just wants everybody to be quiet because it could, it could criticize Islam. She even has, as she spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on her own personal security, always blaming APAC and blaming other non-Muslim organizations for the things they say that criticize her as being somehow putting her at risk as incitement against her. Isn't that the isn't that just the epitome? of narcissism, which is that the Islamists believe that criticism of them is criticism of Islam. And we've gone full circle, haven't we? So in the end, we have to fight this bill that wants to create this envoy, but do so very publicly, just like we're doing with the school board issues, with the critical race theory issues, with the pandemic issues, now we've exposed recently, it's been exposed that there actually is, there actually is a connection with the U.S. government funding through EcoHealth gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. Now, they're trying to blame it on that nonprofit that they funneled or laundered money through, but at the end of the day, 
I'll remind you a year ago, the Ministry of Information that was trying to control what people said, said that these were conspiracy theories and Fauci called them liars, as he did Senator Rand Paul, Dr. Paul, who criticized Fauci. This is not to say that Dr. Fauci doesn't have an esteemed history as a scientist and clinician and leader in the healthcare community, but he's not beyond reproach, and he obviously is a heavily political human being, driven not only by science, but driven by politics, as many people are. So he should be open to criticism, and it should not be dismissed or removed from the internet if you say things that might be wrong, but at least are critical, and now they've been proven to be right. There are endless examples, ladies and gentlemen, of things in every area from medicine to media, politics, academics, schools, children, whatever topic you might want that show that who he who determines what is propaganda is the one that wants to take away your rights. Many things will be products of propaganda and far from the truth, but the reality is that we as human beings are sentient and have the ability to determine what is and what is not the truth. So we might be wrong sometimes, but ultimately freedom is the ability to allow that information to be out there and us to pick and choose and then have a debate with an electoral democratic process of decisions. The czar of Islamophobia, the czar to combat Islamophobia is about another nail in the coffin of Western democracies with the ascension of the ideas of Islamist movements and their benefactors. Help me stop that, expose what it is, and we will be better for it, whether you're Muslim or not. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. It's always a pleasure to be with all of you. I look forward to seeing you back soon. Share this with your friends. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Reform This Radio. God bless. We'll see you soon. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you.